0: you have your Bibles with you this morning, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We will be concluding this chapter here this morning. And a wonderful passage it is. Before we consider it, join me once again in prayer. Our gracious God, you heavenly Father, your word is truth. For you are perfect and complete truth. And this is your infallible and inerrant word to us. O oh Lord, we pray that your spirit would write it in our hearts and minds. We pray that it would sit deep within us and that it would fuel and motivate and guide us in all things pertaining to life and godliness. Lord, we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, First Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 14, Hear now the very word of God written for you and for me today. I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have ten thousand instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. For this reason I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Now some are puffed up as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills, and I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power." For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod, or in love and a spirit of gentleness? Amen. Thus far the reading of God's holy word, and may he add his blessing to the reading of it to us. Well, people of God, we have much to learn from the apostles and the prophets, don't we? From God himself as He has spoken through them, as to how we must think and and how we must walk worthily today. And therefore, we praise God for His infinite wisdom in giving us a path to follow, in giving us the guardrails to stay within, as well as faithful ministers and elders to help guide us and even to correct us and to discipline us when we're going astray. And it was Paul's privilege to serve in these very ways in all of Christ's churches, and especially for the church in Corinth, as Paul didn't just plant the Corinthian church and walk away, leaving them on their own. He didn't just lay the foundation of Christ and not provide any instruction as to how the church should be built. No, he stayed connected with them Other ministerial colleagues of his visited them. And it was true that Paul even visited them and was faithful to write to them as he had ongoing dialogue with them. This proved to be very important to the restoration of health and wellness in the body. For we know the saints in Corinth struggled with health and wellness spiritually, didn't they? They struggled with the effects of the wisdom of the world that they had already embraced. As they had let their thoughts go far beyond what was written to them, Paul sought to bring them back in line with word, in line with the pure gospel. And as some had gone off the rails and criticizing and ridiculing Paul and his ministry, Paul stood in the Lord's Strength, giving a, justice, a just defense against his accusers. And his pride had taken root and bore bad fruit in the Corinthians, arrogantly believing that they were full, they were rich, they ruled, and all due to their own wit and ability. Paul corrected their view of reality, didn't he? For there was nothing the Corinthians had that they hadn't received from the Lord. And further, they needed to have their view of suffering and trial in the Christian life reoriented and changed too, didn't they? For the Christian life isn't full of the high life. It isn't the easy life. It's full of the world coming hard against us, even the corruptions of our own flesh rising up within us. Even Satan doing his own and very best in his own and crafty wiles to thwart us, we see that it's full of challenge and hardship because we follow Jesus. It's full of persecution and need. We are made spectacles as we live as fools for Christ. And we've seen how Paul came hard against the Corinthians pointing out their errors in their understanding of these things. And yet, as there were several aspects of Paul's ministry with the people, he wanted them to remember specifically that, yes, he was an apostle. He was also a minister of Christ to them. And he was a servant in their midst. And now he shares yet another aspect in his relationship with them. And that being... A spiritual father. So let's consider Paul's fatherly care toward the people in verses 14 and 15. His words regarding faithful Timothy's reminders in verses 16 and 17. And Paul's words regarding his upcoming visit in verses 18 through 21. And so this passage opens in verse 14 with, Presentation and introduction into his fatherly care where he says, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. Now, in other words, my friends, though some in the church and those in the world tried to make a spectacle of Paul, Paul wasn't trying to make a public spectacle of the saints in the midst of their sin. If you recall, Paul had just called them out and he had shown the light on their sin of pride and arrogance. However, Paul didn't say what he said to ridicule them or to harm them, especially in the eyes of others. No, Paul said those things to raise their sensitivity to the truth. Right. He was saying, wake up and see what you've become. See what you've embraced. Repent and abandon it. And turn to Christ, understand how the church must truly be, act, and walk. So, see how he addresses them here in verse 14 as his beloved children, which leads into his presentation of his fatherly care for the saints. And so, if Paul didn't say what he said to shame them, what did Paul in this fatherly care intend? with his words. He said he wrote to warn them. You know, it's true that that tough love is sometimes needed in the care that a father gives his children. However, that must be balanced with tender love and care as well. Always having their best interests in mind. Loving warnings are good and helpful. And really, what are warnings designed to do? And listen to this. Warnings are designed to help stop them from approaching and falling into sin. To seek to snatch them out of sin at times. Or even to keep them from other dangerous and deadly situations. And this includes matters of doctrine and life and relationship, doesn't it? Things like, you're going down the wrong path, son. Stop, turn around, go the other way. Or, this decision will have bad consequences. Wisdom would call you to do something different. Those types of statements would be rightly said in such warning. And so when dealing with sin, our responses must be considerate of two things. And we see this to be true in Paul, in his warning to Corinthians in fatherly love. First, It must be considerate of their reputation. And second, it must be considerate of their reformation. Their reputation and their reformation. Matthew Henry states it well when he says, In reproving for sin, we should have a tender regard to the reputation as well as the reformation of the sinner. We should aim to distinguish between them and their sins. And take care not to discover any spite against them ourselves, nor expose them to contempt and reproach in the world. Reproofs that expose, commonly do, but exasperate when those that kindly and affectionately warn are likely to reform. Henry, I think, provides some helpful feedback and comment and guidance on this very principle. We want to be mindful of protecting their good name and reputation, even as we correct and warn. But our goal, our heart, is focused also at reconciliation and reformation in them. And how is that best done? Right, That's a good question. How is that best done? Parents, do you love your children enough to warn them? A good question to think about today. Do you love your children enough to warn them? It's awfully tempting to let them slide or maybe to look the other way with some things. Maybe even you find mom and dad divided, and mom brings down the hammer, and dad kind of on the side says, Dad, don't worry about it. It's okay. That's not healthy. But it's easy, it's tempting to do. However, true love is willing to step in and is willing to speak up when our kids need to turn, when they need to abandon, and when they need to avoid what wouldn't be good for them. And especially when any of those types of things are involving sin, are involving breaking God's law. And now desiring the Corinthians' reformation was exactly what Paul did with fatherly care and a pastoral heart. And this is the same heart that Paul had as he approached the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 2, 11, and 12. And you can turn with me there if you'd like briefly. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. We read there, As you know how we exhorted and comforted And charge every one of you as a father does his own children. And why? Look at verse 12. That you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Hear these things. A father to a child. The purpose of his children walking worthily before the Lord and with the Lord. He exhorts. He encourages, he comforts, and he charges them. This is the faithfulness of a father. This is faithfulness of parents in view here. Right? And this is similar to what Paul goes on to say, right, in fifteen A. And what he shares with Corinth about how he has been a father to them. Look at the beginning of fifteen where he says, For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ. Yet you do not have many fathers. Beloved, the saints boasted in their allegiance to Apollos and Peter, right? And even they tried to exalt Christ in the company. Right? We've talked several times about that in this series. And yet as some may have also boasted in Paul, many of them attacked him. You saw that last week. And so Paul points out that they could have Apollos and Peter. They could even have 10,000 of them. However, Paul's fatherly relationship with them was unique. And how was he specifically like a father to them? What was unique about it? What was noteworthy about it? What was so important that Paul would say, look, you need to pay attention because you can have all the instructors that you could raise up in your own mind that would tickle your fancy, that would tickle your ears. You can have as many of them as you want. The stars are the limit. But the Lord has used me as an instrument of grace and a spiritual father in your life. Listen to me. I come with loving and serious warning to you considering where you are and where you need to be. But he was specifically like a father to them. And look at his words in 15b. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel, he said. Wonderful. And What does he mean by this? By the grace and work of God, The saints believed in Jesus Christ for their salvation through Paul's ministry. Again, Paul was but a minister. He was but a mouthpiece. He was but an instrument of the Lord Jesus Christ in the lives of these Corinthians. The one that he used, among others, to bring them to saving faith in Christ. To bring them in and a part of the church. God indeed did mightily use him to bring them from pagan idolatry to the faith of the gospel and the worship of the true and living God. A wonderful thing. Testimony to God, none to Paul. Paul didn't want any of the glory. but it, Yet it was important for the people to know of all things that he could have said, I was a father to you and am a father to you in these ways, This is what you need to know, for in Christ I have begotten you through the gospel. And therefore, because this is true, what were the people, what were they to do? What ought they do? Look at 16. He says, therefore, because of what I just said, I urge you, imitate me. You know, later in chapter eleven, verse one, Paul will again urge the saints to imitate him, and he adds the phrase "as he imitates Christ," and that's important. Parents, we can encourage our children to imitate us in many ways, right? As we are seeking to train them in godliness in the ways of uh, the Lord, but we also recognize that we're sinners. We make mistakes. We err. We sin against them, against God, against others. We don't want them to imitate us in those ways. And that's why Paul says wisely and rightly and wonderfully, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And if you think about it, Paul's exhorting them to imitate him, which the Greek word is where we get the word mimic from. It comes right after his addressing their attacks against him. In essence, he's saying, because I've been a faithful spiritual father to you, rather than attacking me, rather than seeking to mimic the world, hear my warnings, repent, turn and follow me in my godly example. Copy my pattern in Christ. As I press hard after Christ. You know, parents, isn't this a common experience in many ways for us? Our children are tempted to go their own way, to seek to mimic the world, and in some ways, they may very well do that. Rather than to listen to us and the biblical truth that we teach them, that we've taught them, that we continue to share with them by word and example. And yet, out of love, what is our repeated response? What ought it to be? We continue to pursue them. We continue to warn them. We continue to call them to turn to Christ and to imitate us as we follow after Him. That should be a big and important message from us to them. On a regular basis, even a daily basis. What does life as a follower of Jesus look like? What ought it to look like? There are often things that we need to turn from and abandon that we've attached to and and embrace. Follow us. As we follow Christ, copy our pattern. Like Paul told Corinth. And because of the urgency and importance of their need to imitate Paul, Paul knew this urgency, and he was pressing it to the saints, he did what? He sent Timothy to help them. He sent Timothy to help them for this very reason, he says in verse 17, I have sent Timothy to you. And what was true of Timothy? Who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. See how Paul sent his beloved and faithful spiritual son Timothy to help and minister in person to his beloved unfaithful spiritual sons and daughters in Corinth. I'm sending you Timothy to help you to share with you, to impart knowledge. To share with you and to give testimony of the God's, of God's grace in my life, not just so that you're hearing it from my mouth and saying, oh yes, I Paul lived in these ways, but no, Timothy, my faithful spiritual son in the Lord, he can testify of these things because he's seen these things to be true in me. You ridicule me, you put me as a spectacle in the world. I am the filth and the off-scouring. Of the world in your eyes. But yet I've been faithful to Jesus. Timothy will tell you. And it's not that I just twisted his arm to tell you as I'm sending him, but he will tell you in all honesty. He will remind you. Reminds us of Peter, doesn't it? He will remind you of my ways in Christ. You have seen my ways in Christ, you have known my ways in Christ but you've forgotten them in many ways. The world is more attractive to mimic and follow their pattern than it is for you to follow mine. But Timothy will encourage you in these ways. And what would Timothy's ministry be focused on? It would be giving the saints a faithful example of godly living to follow. As well as reminding them and giving them reminders of Paul's faithfulness in following Jesus. Timothy would come and refresh their memory of his preaching and practice. What he taught and how he lived among them. And that would be a wonderful thing. That would be a necessary thing. And so Paul goes on to respond to another piece of the fruits of their pride. In verse 18. Remember how in our preceding context he talked about about how they were puffed up. How they viewed themselves as full full and rich and ruling as kings without them. Verse 18, Paul says, Now some are puffed up as though I were not coming to you. Some of the saints in the church argued that Paul was bold only when he was absent and only in his letters. We, we see this in Second Corinthians 10, right? We've considered that verse before. They claimed that he was afraid to meet them face to face. He just couldn't take it. He could talk a strong talk and write a good letter, but he couldn't take face to face heat, they would say. They argued that Paul sending Timothy even to them was, was further proof of him trying to avoid... He won't come himself, but he'll send somebody else. You need to think about Timothy's coming in that way, they would argue. Instead of what his true motives were. His true purpose was. However, that was far from being true. Look at 19. But I will come to you shortly, if the Lord wills. And I will know, not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power, So what does he mean here? Well, we see three important things in Paul's focus here. First, Paul indeed did desire to come to them soon. However, secondly, Paul was also wisely mindful of the work of divine providence, God's will, and that being done. And thirdly, Paul was concerned not with their words, but with the power of them. Did they really have any power? Or did they truly fall flat? You know, James warns against presumptive planning in James chapter 4, verses 13 through 16. And this is exactly what Paul was getting at in him saying, if the Lord wills, I will come to you. James says, beginning in verse 13, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. Notice the intention and the specificity in the Word of God in that statement. If the Lord wills, we shall live. Just stop there first. The Lord gives us breath. If the Lord wills, we shall live. But it's His will if we do so. Let alone what we plan and desire to do. Is, is James speaking against planning here? No. But he is speaking against presumption. And, plan. and so the arrogant could wax on and they could do their worst in their pride. And if the Lord willed, Paul would come and visit the Corinthians. He would put them on trial, so to speak, witnessing whether their words truly match the efficacy of their teaching. They said a lot of fluffy things but would it stand in the refiner's fire? In other words, the proof would be in the pudding as to whether their teaching was accompanied with divine influences and saving effects on the minds of men and women. And why was this important? He says in verse 20, For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. The kingdom of God, my friends, isn't established in the hearts of men and women by fluffy words and lip service, but rather by the power of the Holy Spirit in the powerful influence of God's truth in our hearts and lives. It's not in word, but it's in power. The problem was is that Paul was very suspicious, and rightly so, that when he arrived, he would find that many of the Corinthians' words lack the power. You know, a helpful litmus test in judging a preacher's teaching is to see whether the effects of it are truly bearing godly fruit in the lives of God's people. Is there fruit? Is there evidence of the work of the ministry of the Word? Not just going in our ears, but it truly, as the Word of God by the Spirit's work is working it in our hearts, that fruit comes out in our lives. Is there evidence of that? But Paul tells the people that they have a choice to make about how he would come to them. In other words, Considering his fatherly care for them, they needed to choose. And look what he says in 21. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod? Or in love and a spirit of gentleness? You know, if the, the Corinthians continued to be contentious and arrogant with each other as well as with Paul. Paul would bring the rod of correction and discipline. He would exert his apostolic authority in chastening them, possibly even bringing censures upon those who needed them. Stubborn offenders, my friends, have to be faced with severe discipline. That is sometimes what it takes in the Lord's will to break and to to bring reformation in their hearts. True humility. Tough Christian love sometimes has to be evident in bringing the rod. But if they were to heed Paul's warnings, if they were to repent and turn from their sins of division and quarreling and fighting and pride and worldliness and accusation and slander against Paul, etc., Paul would be overjoyed to come to them with the tenderness and the gentleness. Of a spiritual father. You'd be overjoyed to do that. Again, warnings are considerate of reputation, they also desire a reformation. And if that reformation happened by God's grace, Paul said, I'm happy to come to you gently. That's what you would want, right? Beloved, as Paul was a faithful minister and also, having, also a loving spiritual father who would take the beatings and the strikes of his wayward and arrogant children and still walk forward in love in pursuit of them, he's showing us Christ. He's showing us what Christ did for Paul and all of us as his people as he was in the presence of and in the hands of sinful men. Are we like Paul concerned about their reputation and reformation when dealing with sin in others? We ought to be. And as much as Paul desired the Corinthians to recognize him as a loving father, he also desired that they would stop imitating the world and imitate him. It was as if he was saying, stop pushing against me and start following me as I follow Jesus Christ. Kids, do you buck up against your parents? Do you rebel against your father and your mother? Do you see the grace of God at work in them even as they desire for you to follow their example as they point you to Jesus? I encourage you to think about that today. We all need to. And I also want to encourage you to be thankful and praise God for loving discipline. Be thankful for God's discipline of you. Also be thankful for His work through your parents' discipline and be thankful for His work even through under shepherds in the church in church discipline and submit to it in the Lord with your whole heart. It's for your good. It's for the honor and the vindication of Christ. It's, it's for reconciliation, for godly reformation in your life and in the lives of others. But finally, like Corinth, we have a choice to make. We can be stubborn and arrogant and justly deserve the rod like the Corinthians did. Or we can repent and turn to Christ and walk rightly with Him and receive the tenderness and gentleness from His faithful hand and from His under-shepherds who are but servants of the living Christ. May God grant us much grace to be wise and, and humble in our walk with the Lord, humble in our walk with one another, in peace and unity that Christ bought and has made and has called the church to be, That we would seek to avoid that which would bring us under God's fatherly displeasure and just chastening. Amen. Praise God for His Word. Let's pray together.